Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. All my life you have been faithful, we just sang, right? All my life you have been faithful. Um, which, as I'm sitting there standing next to Lori, what struck me was what a miracle it is to be with you all. I'm sitting there singing that and going, what a miracle I get to be here with you all. I never take for granted that there's opportunities to be able to be up front and share God's word with you. So I lead the most excellent way here, victory over addiction. We use the term victory because God sets you free and you're free indeed. And, and I, as I was sitting there, the problem that you're all going to run into right now is we're going off our regularly scheduled program. It just flashed into my mind, Pastor Ron coming to our house. We had started here in 1988. It was probably 1990. Lori and I had just started working with the youth here. Started serving the students, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And, and in trying to live out Christ and being a guy that struggled with anger and hadn't given it over to the Lord in that sense, I was saved. I knew what God had called me to do. I had a deep sense of what God wanted me to do, but there was things in my life that I had not truly surrendered. And so I had a, my father-in-law got season tickets to the Blazers that year. And if you remember 1990, it was kind of a great year for the Blazers. Not this year, but that year. And uh, Pastor Ron loved the Chicago Bulls. He, he really loved Michael Jordan, watching Michael Jordan. So I didn't know him. So I walked up to him at church and said, hey, you and I don't know each other well, and he knew me, he knew my name, and I said, hey, uh, would you want to go to a Bulls-Blazers game with me? And he goes, well, yeah. <laughs> when? Next Friday. I'll drive. <laughs> he comes to our house. My wife's over here smirking right now because she knows what's coming. He comes to our house. We have a little house. We're still in it. 1992. It's a good year to buy a house, you know, back in the day, right? So this is probably 92 because we were in the house. So 92-ish. And he came, he came walking down the hall, and he goes, well, what's that? And it was a hole through a door. And I went, well, that's me being an idiot. Well, we have a whole hour to talk about that. <laughs> Do you know what Lori and I were arguing about? Ministry. Serving students me wanting to be a part of a sports ministry at the same time of being a part of high school or middle school. I can't even remember at that time, high school ministry at that time, I think. I mean, I'm seeing faces that were high school students <laughs> at that time here. We were arguing over ministry, and I had gotten so bleh, that she had gone in the room and locked the door because she, she was like, I don't want to be around you when you're like this. So she locked the door. That went well. I was probably benching around 350 pounds at that time. I was in the gym. I was strong. And if somebody had broken into our house at that time, I would have uh, for sure given my life for Lori. But you know what my problem was? I didn't know how to live for Christ right, and I didn't know how to live for my wife and my family right. I knew how to live, I, I, you know, but I would have given my life for sure, no doubt. I think back to those days, and we're about to return to our scheduled program. God rescued me out of addiction in 1987. Large and in charge. 
You know that you can be a high-functioning addict. You can have multiple addictions and still keep a job. By the way, most of the prison guards and police officers I worked out with, we all struggled with the same things. Alcohol, anger, addicted to self, looking in the mirror back in the day. Then God rescued me. So I, I, we're singing that song with AJ, and I'm going, gosh, what a miracle I get to be with you all. What a miracle what God does in lives. We've been doing the most excellent way here since 2012. Last Wednesday, we had 11 men accept Christ as their Savior in the penitentiary. Thank you, God, right? All of us going in there, we know what we deserve. <laughs> and God's not giving it to us. That's mercy. We know what we have, his grace, unmerited favor. We get to go in there Monday nights. We got 60-plus men showing up. We got 20-some-odd women on both sides at times showing up, at, you know, 30 to 40 women for the family and friend side, the women's side. The numbers matter because souls matter. You get Tuesday nights over at West Salem. People are showing up and being transformed. Now Wednesday nights in the penitentiary. We now went from two most excellent ways in Oregon two years ago to 12 in Oregon. We got, we got folks being rescued. We are on a regular scheduled program right now. We did a workshop last Thursday. We had churches from Roseburg and Vancouver and Almsville and other churches checking out whether they want to start Most Excellent Ways. Amen. Thank you, God. Do you know why it matters? Because souls matter, and we're going to share the gospel. Christ died for how many of your sins, folks? All of them, past, present, future, once and for all, the just for the unjust, 1 Peter 3.18 says. He hung on that cross, and he said it for you. It is finished. He said this too. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do from the cross for you. And I'm talking to you right now. For you, he said it. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And then he gave up his spirit, said it is finished, gave up his spirit. He laid in that tomb for three days and he rose again. Check the date on your phones, folks. That date is tied to Christ's existence when he was here on this earth. Man, we get to see people's lives transformed. And if you've been set free and you're free indeed, and you're thinking and you've been praying about whether you want to be a part of the most excellent way, come and check us out on a Monday night. Come sit in. Be a part of it with us. We need people that are going to serve children. We got people, you know, they have their children. They're coming out of addiction. They need help. And we have Teresa Johns and others that are working with those kids, taking the lesson we have and making a children's version and then sharing with those kids what their parents are hearing upstairs. Sharing with those kids what mom is hearing in the, in the family and friend side or the dad is hearing on the family and friend side, or the person that's struggling with addiction is, that kid gets that. We need godly couples that will come and serve those kids. You, you know, if you're like, I just don't know. I want to serve, but I don't know. I, I don't think I can do Come help us with food. But if you, if you know you've been rescued out of the old life, and you know what that looks like, and you're saying, I've been rescued, I'm in victory, and I've always wondered what's going on, just show up. Just show up. Come and check it out. Come at 7 p.m., just sit in with us. Watch what God does. Because here's an illustration, Josh Lair. Here's Josh's mugshot before he went into the Oregon State Penitentiary for that last time. In 2010, Josh uh, was a part of the worst prison riot. And there's other people in this room that were too, as guards. Um, the worst prison riot in Oregon State Penitentiary history. I had met Josh in 1999, that was, that was 2010. I had met Josh when he was running and gunning in gangs. He had moved up here from Bakersfield, California. 
Um, he had married a gal that actually the family had gone here and, and he had married their foster daughter. And, and so the reason I met him is that the dad came to me and said, would you meet, would you meet with Josh? He's married to our foster daughter and he's a mess and he needs help. And coming from your background, maybe you can talk some sense into him. And so he and I started meeting in 1999. And in the process of meeting with him over years, and he would go away, and then he would come back out, and he would go away, and he'd come back out. I'd be sharing Christ with him. He thought that the only book of the Bible that I knew was the book of James. He literally, he said that. He goes, I thought, you don't know nothing about the Bible other than the book of James. And I said, do you know why I keep taking you to the book of James? He's like, no, because you need wisdom. You do not have it. You need Christ, and then you need wisdom. So let's just get blunt, you know? You need to know what God is, that he loves you and that the spirit of God produces. And the book of James has imperatives, 50 of them. He commands, he doesn't suggest. 45 AD, James wrote that letter to a church that was struggling, suffering under persecution, being persecuted. And they're encountering all kinds of trials that were getting, that was tempting them to sin. Because that's what that word trials means, folks. Go back and check it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you might be complete, perfect, lacking nothing, mature. That term trials is the root word for tempted later in the text in verse 13. That word trials means being solicited to do the wrong thing because you've run into stuff that's triggering you to do the wrong thing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter all kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and maturity. So I would say that to him, and we'd work through things. He was out of prison. He showed up here right away because his ex-father-in-law invited him to come to our men's breakfast. He walks in. I saw him. I walked over and gave him a hug. Pastor Justin hugged him. Pastor Carl hugged him. People started walking over, hugging him. He had just gotten out of prison that last time in 2012. He had given his life in E-block cell 288 in, in 2010, right after that riot. And then he lived it out, incarcerated, and then he showed up at our breakfast, and he walks in, and people started loving on him. And I looked at him and said, if you're ready, if you're ready to live this out, man, we want to be alongside you. And he says, I'm ready, Pastor. I said, in two weeks, we start a new program, a new, a new ministry here, the most excellent way. He was the first person to walk in those doors, and he's still at our side now. You know why he can't be with us this morning? Because he's right now probably landed in Helena, Montana, the capital because he's going to address police officers in the state government there about how to deal with people in addiction and deal with homelessness issues and how do you help people get into rehab and detox because now he's overseeing ideal options, which helps people get into rehab and detox. He's gotten his, he's gotten his degree in, in biblical counseling, drug and alcohol counseling. He's got his master's degree. That guy, <laughs> got his master's degree. He's working on his doctorate. Do you know what his dissertation's on? The most excellent way. Two weeks after he got out of prison, after he had started coming to the most excellent way, that very next week, I got a call from him saying, pastor, and he's in tears on the phone. I need to meet with you. I need help. What's going on? I met him at Sherry's on Lancaster because he was living in a halfway house SOAR program. He couldn't, didn't have a driver's license yet, so he had to walk everywhere he went. And, and he, that was close to that Sherry's on, on Lancaster, South Lancaster. So I met him there. And he began to tell me that he had called his dad, a professing believer, who was a, had been a police officer. And he said, Dad, I'm out of prison. and I'm following Jesus now, Dad. I'm gonna, getting plugged into a church. His dad said, change your name, lose my number, 
and never call me again. Click. I've got this big ex-con sitting in front of me in tears trying to process that. A Christian said that to him. We went to the book of James. Ha! <laughs> we're all trying to process that, right? I, I still process how I could, in, in my Christianity, get so angry I could put a fist through a door. <laughs> I love the Lord. I wanted to see kids get rescued out of the same stuff that I got rescued out of. Middle school is when I went off the rails. High school. And you sit there and you, you process through. God, I, I love God now. I want, to, I want to live for God now. And then here I am doing something stupid like that, you know? Freaking her out. I did say I was sorry very quickly. Turn with me to James chapter 3, 13 through 18, or turn your, grab that little choices card that some of you are going, what is this? Flip it over. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. In that same, uh, you know, that book, James, when I talk to you about trials and how they weave their way into maturity if we'll let it happen or we could actually sin in the midst of trials, it then goes on to say in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he'll give it to you generously and without reproach. He gives it to you generously. Are you going to ask God for wisdom, Matt McCollin? Because if you'll ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you generously, and he'll never say what took you so long, even though you just played a stupid thing there and putting your fist through a door in anger. Josh, don't let broken people, broken Christians, keep you from following our Savior with everything. Ask for wisdom right now and don't doubt God. Look at this with me in chapter 3, verses 13. So then he goes on in the letter after saying, God will give you generously and never say what took you so long without reproach. Ask for wisdom now. And in chapter 3, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, it's gentle, it's compliant, it's full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Isn't that good? God's word. Who among you is wise and understanding is his question. James is asking and then gives the test of what a real Christian, what it really looks like to be spirit-led. What does good conduct look like? Isn't it interesting that we praise our father, James says earlier in chapter three, we praise our father and then we tear down people made in God's image. That's in chapter three, just before what we're reading, the tongue, it's a restless evil. It's full of venom. Can't be controlled other than by God and the spirit. The tongue reveals the heart, for out of the mouth the heart speaks. It's not gentle, the tongue, without God. It's not kind. It's bitter water, he goes on to say there earlier in the chapter. It's bitter water, trying to come out of a, a pure spring, and it, it doesn't work. It never works. It harms others. So here's a plug. Read the whole book of James in one sitting. Give it a shot. 
Maybe you don't believe on Christ yet. We give away Bibles free here. Grab one, go to the book of James, read the whole book. So if you have not placed your faith in Christ yet and you're in this room, this, this message in James is actually written to Christians. Are you saved? Have you believed on Christ for salvation? That he died for all your sins, was buried and rose again? Do you know you're saved today? Well, the letter was written to you. 45 AD. About 12 years after Jesus rose from the dead, James, Mary, and Joseph did have boys after Jesus. James, pillar of the church, who dies in 60-ish AD by being cast off the temple wall, was a pillar of Jerusalem during this time. And, and he gave his life for the gospel. And he's writing to Christians who are being all kinds of persecuted, all kinds of trouble. And they're being tempted to do the wrong thing in the midst of their troubles. And so he, you see this silver thread that runs through the entire book, the, the letter of James. It should only take you 15 minutes, you know, at, at the least. But it might take you longer to read through James. But it, they would have received the letter in, and they would have read it in one sitting. They wouldn't do what we do oftentimes. Like, well, I'll read it for a few verses and then I'll you know, put it away and try to come back. He w- they would have gone, oh, James wrote a letter. They would have read the whole thing in context. A challenge to you is to go do that. Because there's a silver thread that runs through the whole letter. And that is the persecution, the trials, the stuff that you didn't ask for, the stuff that you cause in your own life. All of it, if you'll let God, will weave its way through your life. And he'll produce a mature Christian if you'll let it happen. That, that's, that's woven through the entire letter. So, so when he says that about consider it all joy, calm delight in God when you encounter various trials or solicitations to sin. And, and then he says, and when you're in the midst of that, you know, don't, don't doubt God, but run straight to him and let the spirit of God have something to do. I'll, God will give you wisdom. But what we're looking at here as we're, we're thinking about this letter and what he's trying to do now for the, for the Christians is, let me give you a litmus test for your life. Let me take that paper and let me dip it in. And it's white, so let's dip it in. And is it gonna come out black? What's it gonna find in there? That's what this text we're looking at today does. It, it literally dips God, in, the word into your life and pulls it out and you go, ooh, I see darkness. At least I do. You guys are all probably fine. But he gives us a, a picture of what wisdom does look like, doesn't he? Pure. It's pure. It's clean. It's modest. What's going into the sponge is clean. Because what goes in the sponge is coming out of the sponge when pressure comes, right? Garbage in, garbage out. You know, many parents used to say that. Maybe don't say it anymore. Garbage in, garbage out, right? But purity in, Jesus comes out. The pressure comes, joy, calm, delight in God. I can look at this differently. God's given me a different perspective. I don't have to get frustrated. I woke up to, listen, this doesn't happen that often, except for when I preach. My dog got attacked by a pit bull earlier in the week. I'm walking the pit, my dog at like 10 p.m., and this pit bull comes out of nowhere and just latches onto Gus. Gus is a labrador poodle. No aggression in that dog at all. None, zero. It's just like going, what? Hey, look at that. There's teeth. <laughs> I woke up to no, no hot water this morning. Zero. I did shower. <laughs> you know, typically back in the olden days, if that kind of stuff happened back before I was saved or maybe in the early days, I would have been really worked up. Like the guy that came out and grabbed his dog, I might have just after kicking his dog over and over again, kicked him back in the day. You let your dog out and attack my dog, right? Flesh would have come out. 
I'm looking at the guy, go, just get your dog off my dog. Gus is bleeding, I'm getting him in. You get woke up this morning to no cold water, you know how I went? I smiled and went, consider it all joy, my brethren. <laughs> Walked in, told Lori, hey, really sorry, when you get up, there's no hot water. <laughs> <laughs> I must be preaching, hey. You're pure, what's going in comes out. Peace loving. You're seeking peace, not a fight. You're not at war. You're not at war with God, and you're not at war with God's people, and you're not at war with the unsaved who need God. You're peace-loving. You're peace-seeking. It's evidence of the Spirit-led life. You're gentle. This term is used in Galatians 6.1. When correcting someone, you have a spirit of praoutes, mildness, humility, and patience all rolled up into one. It's a great term. It's gentle. It's humble. It's patient. It's kind. It's all rolled up in this term. It's a great word. You're compliant. You can be persuaded toward that which is of God. You're compliant. When you're messing up and somebody comes and tells you this is what God has to say about it, you go, ah, you're right. You're right. You're compliant. You're full of mercy. You're compassionate. You're willing to see people's needs in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your hurt. Full of mercy. Good fruits, the fruit of the spirit is fully evident. Love and, you know, all the way to self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says. And that fruit starts coming off your life. And none of us in here are perfect, but you know when the spirit of God's producing, and you know when the spirit of God's not. You know the most secret place you have right now in this room is between your ears. Only you know what's going on in there, And God knows what's going on in there. But when we get to good fruits, we know we can take thoughts captive. We're going to talk about that. We're unwavering. We're not showing partiality. Truth is truth. Christ is Christ. I'm following Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm following Christ. I'm not trying to win you. I'm not trying to, you know, I want to love you. I want want you to, to know that I care about you, but I'm not going to be persuaded away from Jesus, nor his word. I'm unwavering. The spirit-led life, that kind of wisdom gets produced. Without pretense or without hypocrisy, there's no mask. I am what I am. I know what I am. My secrets are, are, are in front of God. Who I am in secret is who I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm God's guy. I'm, I'm, I'm God's lady. I'm a prince of heaven. I'm a princess of heaven. I know who I am, and I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not coming to church trying to put on a mask and then, the, you know, one day the shoe drops, right? No. If it's spirit-led, that's not the case. See, James spoke in imperatives. He spoke in this is the way it is as a believer. This is the way it is. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Now, we think about that last statement there, that fruit. There's going to be righteous activity going on around us because we are sowing in peace and we're cultivating in peace. And then what do you think you reap? Peace. And, and, and the key is, Matt McCollin, can you see it? Because ultimately, I needed to see something. Because I used to, I used to be, I'm not anymore. I'm not. I would not stand up and say I'm an alcoholic because I'm not. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm not that person that I used to be. I'm not addicted the way I was to different substances or to to the life, that old life. God has set me free. 
But Matt, can you see that the way you're responding to Lori or to others, can you see that that lack of peace, that lack of gentleness, can you see that that's as serious as putting a needle in your arm? Can you see that that's as serious as having the five beers when you get home from work? Can you see that's as serious as driving to Grand Ronde and losing your paycheck? Matt, do you see it as serious? Because Jesus died for it, Matt. That's why I love the book of James. Jesus died for that, Matt. That hole in your door came out of this, came out of your heart. Can you see it, Matt? That's what needed to happen. Is the sponge being filled with anger, frustration, bitterness, jealousies, things like that? Am I watching that kind of stuff or am I feeding it in my head? Am I cussing people out in my head? Maybe you guys have never done that before, but in my early days as a Christian, I did that. And if any of you like, hey, you can judge me all you want. I know, I know who I am and I know that I was a work in progress the minute I said yes to Jesus. It didn't go angel saying, ah, and everything just went, oh, everything's perfect now, look at me. I needed Christ and I needed a different heart and I needed a different mind. God's after heart transformation, not behavior modification. I tried to snap myself with a rubber band, one of those big thick ones I had on my wrist at work. After I got saved, I got to quit cussing because it says in scripture, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only that which is edifying to the ear, right? I got to stop cussing. I can't stop cussing. Everything I was around, that's in the gym and everybody, all, my whole old life was just foul. Now it's coming out of me and I don't want it to come out of me. Why do I do the things? All right, here's what I'll do. Every time I cuss, I'm going to snap myself with a rubber band. Do you know what that didn't do? It did not stop me from cussing. You know what it did do? Made me want to cuss. Here's the deal. <laughs> Snap. Ah. <laughs> James says that if, we don't, if we're not careful, did you pick up, up in the text that the three enemies show up, the world, the flesh, and Satan show up in this text, it says it, that that kind of wisdom, that kind of foulness coming out of me as a believer, that, that kind of hostility and anger, it's, it's, it's energized by the three enemies. This world system tells you, yeah, go for it. Let your heart lead you. No, the heart is deceitful above all else who can know it, Jeremiah 17, 9 says. But if you go to Jeremiah 17, 14, it says, heal me and I'll be healed. Clean me and I'll be clean, God. Right after he says, the heart is deceitful above all else who can know it, it says, but God, if you'll clean me, I'll be clean. If you save me, I'll be saved. Was my life, was it pointing towards this person, this God man, this one who was on earth and then died for our sins? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Was my life representing to my children that God. To the people that worked for me at the pizza joint I ran, was my life representing that savior? Would somebody that's lost wanna yoke themselves together to the savior that I say I love based off of that statement from him? James is writing this letter to Christians, and so I lived. You know why I took Josh to the book of James a lot? Because I needed it. And I knew the life I came out of. And I knew what it did in my heart and mind and how it helped me. 
It's, it's a letter to Christians for them to not let circumstances influence them away from being who God has called them to be in any circumstance. So the issue is sin is there. It looks and sounds like something and others see it. You know, do I see it? Others see it. Is there bitterness, envy, selfish ambition, boasting? Is there a lack of gentleness, warring, a warring mentality, a lack of mercy, a lack of obedience to God and his word? Is there hypocrisy? Am I hiding something and play acting like everything's fine? Do I believe I'm okay when all that's going on? Are the works of the flesh evident or the fruit of the spirit evident? Overall, am I a person who works for peace? Let's just focus on that one too, just a little bit. Do I work for peace? Do I cultivate it? Do I, am I sowing it based off of how I'm behaving by the means of the spirit of God? Turn with me to Romans chapter seven. It's gonna be on the screen there for you also. We're gonna be in Romans chapter seven and as you're turning there, and I'm gonna get there with you. There's a great statement by the Apostle Paul. And by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, maybe you don't, if, you, if you're newer to the faith or, or you don't believe yet, do you know that the Apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus who killed Christians? He was so fiery against Christ, he threw him in prison. In his religiosity, can we do this though, Laura too? Can we show that picture of the books first? I'm sorry. I believe as we're cultivating peace and then we're going to sow peace, we need to be in God's word every day. Amen? The, the word of God was written by the spirit of God and he being in you as a believer, he has a vested interest in you being in what he says to you every day. And if you don't think that's true and the Christian life is not working for you, I'm telling you why. Because you don't believe that's true. If if you say you know Christ and you don't want to be in his word, I will, look, I work with addicts, I get fairly blunt. That's your issue. It's true. And if you don't think this will work as far as this relationship, that's why it doesn't. That's why it doesn't. I needed to hear that. I needed Pastor Ron to not chew me out, but love me. And then he told me a couple stories about when, how he had done things within his marriage that God changed him. And it was actually that failure, that trial where he fell on his face. He encouraged me with that going to Portland. He didn't scold me. He worked through with me what scripture said on that drive to see Michael Jordan beat the Blazers in the last few seconds of the game. <laughs> and he loved that. This book, Absolute Surrender, written by Andrew Murray. Anything you can get a hold of Andrew Murray, he, he's going to take scripture and he's going to help you understand it. It's a great book. Absolute Surrender. How do I surrender to the Spirit of God? Well, one of his premises in this book is every morning when you get up in the morning and you say, okay, God, this is your day. I must be spirit-led. I know I may be spirit-led. I know you want me to be spirit-led. Now, Jesus said, if I ask anything in his name, you might be glorified, Father. I'm asking in Jesus' name to be spirit-led today. This is your day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Absolute surrender to what God has to say and to the spirit of God leading you every day. Get Out of Your Head, a great book by a young lady by the name of Jenny Allen. How do you take a thought captive? This is a great book, by the way. And she quotes Andrew Murray a couple times, which made it a really great book. <laughs> you take a thought captive by saying this, I have a choice. Maybe you can't pull up the scripture right away, but in the midst of your stinking thinking, in the midst of your anger, in the midst of whatever's going on, your depression, your discouragement, whatever, you have something to take that thought captive, and it's this statement, I have a choice right now. Great book. 
Some of us, uh, we have been wronged in serious ways. Erwin Lutzer, When You've Been Wronged. Great book. How to process through with scripture what to do when you've been wronged and it triggers you to think about it. How do you let it go based off the spirit of God taking the word of God and this new creation that you are walking it out? A great book. And by the way, I will suggest you get it on Audible and listen to it because Brant Hansen reads his own book on Audible and he makes me laugh. Unoffendable. We live in a world that's attacking us every day and all kinds of things trigger us to get angry, to get frustrated. When we grab Ephesians 4 and we say, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so then we as a believer go, well, it's righteous anger. I, I, I get to be like this. I'm angry because I can be angry and not sin. I'm going to tell you that's not what that verse was about. Because the two words are different. The first word is be frustrated or gizzo. The stirring up of the mind. Be angry in a frustrated way. By the way, if I go through Walmart and I watch some guy smack his kid, I get frustrated. It's happened. If I run down that aisle and punch him in the face, that's the second word. Be frustrated, but don't let your son go down on your wrath. Paragismos. Punching through a door. Great book. Last book. What does God want? You're just coming to Christ. You're just starting to figure this thing out. Michael Heiser is a genius, and he writes a very simple book about what does God want from you now that you're saved. And I'm looking at the guy that's read it through who came to Christ here a few months ago, and he says, yeah, great book. So I'll give you his endorsement too because I know he's here, and he's nodding. So thank you for nodding. That verifies I should say that. (laughs) Great book. What does God want from me? This genius, Michael Heiser, who just went to be with the Lord uh, in March, Gosh, if you can get a hold of his books, that guy, under he gets it. From a very deep, like the unseen realm way, genius, takes this book and simply lays out what God wants for us. It's a great book. I do that because, as we're running out of time, because we've got to cultivate. You in Romans? Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good lives in me, That is in my flesh, for the desire to do good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I don't, I don't, do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner in the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Great passage, right? Ever ever felt that? I know the right I ought to do, and yet I find myself not doing it. What does he say? That's a prayer for us, by the way. And I pray it every day, by the way. Just so you know, you know how you become more like Jesus? You repent all the time. And when we can take God's word and we can pray it, wretched person that I am, wretched man that I am, wretched person that I am, thank you for rescuing me from the body of this death. Here I am again, God. Went off in my head, nobody else heard it but you. But here I am again, God. 
And, and many times, that's going off in my head when I'm going about my day. Lord, wretched man that I am, thank you for rescuing me from the body of this death. I give God glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. So with my mind, I'm certain law of God, but with my flesh, I know the enemy wants me to go that direction. The world, the flesh, and Satan, I'm not going to do it, Lord. I love you. I have a choice. I have a choice right now. We'll live this out for your glory. Whatever it looks like. You know, you get the issues, you get the realizations. I'm screwed up and I have a choice. I see it. I have a choice right now. And I understand what I can pray right now. Here I am again, God. And you're never going to turn away somebody who's humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at your word. Your word says that. I don't know what you're battling between your ears and your heart. I don't know where we've all been. But I know that God's word wants you to surrender and say, I can be at peace (laughs) with God, with believers, with the unsaved. He has me here for a reason. I don't have to fight anymore. I have a choice. So what's the action plan? Now you got your cards, right? I have a choice. I'm ready straight to the answers. What God has for me. If I, if I know I haven't been wise, I have a choice. You see those, uh, And I'm probably getting out of order right now, Laura, so sorry, but we pull up the card. I have a choice. Will it be spiritually profitable? Will it bring me into bondage? Will it build me up? Will it build others up? Will it help me be more like Christ? Number six is what stood out to me as I was really praying through and getting ready for this. Will it help others by my example? Will it slow me down in the race? Will it draw me away from God's people? Will it hypocritically cover my sin? And ultimately, here's the number one reason we should want victory over anything is will it glorify God? If you'll turn with me, we'll wrap up with the last time I preached. I got to preach this passage, Hebrews chapter four. Please know this, that as you're, as you're considering um, that you have a choice, I have a choice, Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 16 gives you an assurance of a great high priest who's never going to turn you away. We just got done with the whole book of Hebrews. It's an awesome book, isn't it? Preeminence of Christ on display. The reality for the believer on display. The kind of access you have to God on display. The beauty of it all. A bunch of imperfect people with a very perfect God that if you know him, his spirit is in you and he who is in you is greater than that which is in the world. Amen. And then when we, when we need to take a thought captive, I have a choice, and we can remember this. Verse 12, you all there with me? For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we, with whom we have to do. Now, if we just stop right there, that could be a really intimidating passage, just like wretched man that I am who will rescue me from the body of this death. If you stop right there, that's like, okay, no, I give thanks to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 7 says. And then here, now look what it says after that. Therefore, in light of all that, God sees it all. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, Therefore, in light of all that, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. When is our time of need? Right now, always. Always. Our time of need is always. And I have a choice. 
in the midst of this. If my example is not a good example for my kids, and it was not, it was not. Though there were toddlers, you know, when I gave up drinking, I got saved. It took me a while to give up drinking. Do you know when I gave up drinking? By the way, the most dangerous drug in the world is alcohol. I'm just going to throw that at you. That's not me being a legalist. Go look it up. More health issues, seven types of cancer, liver failure, affects your brain. Every drink affects your brain in a negative way. It does, just so you know. And, and just so in the midst of that, I wasn't thinking about any of that when I was drinking. You know what made me stop? I had a beer in my hand. I had come to know Christ. And in toddles my little daughter. And here's what went off in my head. I'm going to give the Spirit of God credit. You cannot control whether she grows up to be your mom. And my mom was drunk every day of my life. My mom was a box of chocolates. I never knew what was going to happen on any given day because she was super unstable in her drinking. And in the midst of that, that went off in my head. I didn't intentionally think it. It just went off. You cannot control whether your drinking leads her to be your mom. But you can control whether you stop. I walked over to the sink. I dumped the beer out. I pulled every cap off the rest of my beers and dumped them out because I knew if I threw them in the garbage, I might pull them out. Not kidding. And I went, you got to give me the strength to never drink again. Because that little girl doesn't deserve that. And none of my kids ever remember me as a drunkard because of God. So we got to have an action plan. We got to look at his word. And I could go to the throne of grace, even though I had gotten saved and I was this work in progress and I was still a doofus, but I was a saved doofus. And so he, he, he works it through my mind and I come to him and then he meets me right there. And he changed me in the midst of a culture that told me it was fine to do that. I needed to be that action plan that right here, run to the throne of grace to receive it when right now, mercy, grace, in confidence come. Wretched, here I am again, God, wretched man that I am. Thank you for rescuing me from this body of death. I desire to be pure and peaceable and, and gentle. And I, I, all of those scriptures rolling around, action plan. Let's pull up that last picture. Here's a believer that got it right. That's Josh's first graduation from college. Don't let broken people keep you from following Christ because as you live it out by the power of the Spirit of God, you can win the hardest of hearts. You can win broken believers who are hardened because they have not been considering it calm delight in the midst of their trials. They've let it tempt them away from a close relationship. They become dry as the summertime, like David said, after he sinned with Bathsheba, the summer heat baking the soil. They become dry, and now it can become soft. As they watch the cool rain, the refreshing rain of a believer hit that dry soil, because you start living it out in front of them. We've run out of time. I love that picture. It's the way it's supposed to be because you don't become more like Jesus without repenting every day. It's how we become more like Jesus. We see it. After, after we sing here in a minute, we're gonna be up here to pray with you. Some of you know 
this, this, this invitation to come up with me and AJ and others up here that are going to pray, and my wife and others, some of you know there's been times where you know you've needed prayer and you have not done it. You knew there's something that God, and you need to do something like pouring a beer out and saying, okay, today's the day. I'm going to go up and let them pray for me right now. We're going to sing together. But do not let your pride keep you from a moment of saying, that's it. I see it. Thank you for rescuing me, Father. Let's pray together. Father, awesome God, I thank you for this time, for the beauty of it. Your word went forth. It's always going to accomplish what you sent it forth to do. Your word promises that, and I thank you for that truth. So as we sing now, we worship. We're thankful that you uh, soften the hardest of hearts. I pray for everybody in this room. If there's any that are in here and they have not placed their faith in this wonderful Savior that you sent, I pray that that today is the day that they simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for all their sins, that he did cry out his finish for them, that right now you're stirring their hearts and calling them and drawing them and bring them into the family. But for any of us, Lord, if, if we've been wrestling with something for a long time, thank you that you give wisdom generously and you never say what took you so long. And then for all of us, for those who are walking strong, may we stay strong, go live it out, live out the light. For those who are right on the teetering edge of going down a slippery slope that's gonna take them farther than they wanna go, they're gonna stay longer than they wanna stay, and today's the day to stop. May it be so. But for those who have been baked in that hard summer heat, may today the rain hit them, soften them up, and move them into a place where they feel that calm delight in you, that joy. Pray these things in Jesus' name.